Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to Psych with Mike. For more episodes or to connect with the show with comments, ideas, or to be a guest, go to www.psychwithmike.com. Follow the show on Twitter at PsychWithMike or like the Facebook page at PsychWithMike. Now, here's PsychWithMike. Welcome into the Psych with Mike Library. This is Dr. Michael Mahan, and I am here with Mr. Brett Newcomb. This must be a library that's maintained and managed by the, general, uh, the Attorney General of the State of Missouri. Why is that? No books. Because there's no books yeah. in it. Well, uh, so if, if you're not watching this on the internet, uh, then we're in a new location. We're in a new location. Right. The Psych with Mike studios have shifted. Um, it's because we're shifty. And eventually, uh, this is going to be a beautiful place. It's it's a but it's a work in progress. Someday your prince will come. Yeah. Well, yeah. you unless I kept them at Fox Photo, you said because they're yeah, that's right. They, they, business. they went out of business. You know, there are a lot of people who are listening to this. That but we're old. Don't we remember yeah. having to take your photos somewhere to have them processed. Yeah, they they would say, "Why? What? What? That makes no sense to me." Does but not. Pe- people used to keep photo albums. Yeah. That they'd spend time every year oh, updating yeah. and renewing and, oh, and yeah. labeling. And this was in May mm-hmm. when I went to France. Now your computer will automatically tell you. Right. And you can even search pictures of France. They'll, yeah. They'll find them all. Yeah. We don't curate our photos much anymore. No. Yeah. Don't even look at them much anymore. No. I mean, they're all on the phone. and or People buy photo cubes now to get Christmas presents. Or they, they post them on Facebook, and yeah. then they're on the timeline, but nobody looks at them past the first week that they're up getting likes. Unless they're looking to sue you or something or find out if you're dead. <laughs> then they try to find look at your Facebook and so I'm excited. This well, is uh, a new location, and I'm really looking forward to developing this. Um, if you are on the interwebs and you're looking, these the, this be, wall behind us is windows. <laughs> the view you can't see because you close the blinds. The lighting is not good for the, those to be open. I like them open because I love the metropolitan feel. But It's not good uh, for therapy. It's that's not, what we're talking about. Well, tell me more about that. because you, you don't want to provide an opportunity for your client to get distracted from what they are feeling or talking about. And if you have windows open where they can watch cars go by or planes fall from the sky or lightning in a storm, then they're going to interrupt themselves and go, oh, look, squirrel. Mm-hmm. And then they may or may not come back to what they were close to. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the discussions that we have in training programs for therapists. What kind of breakaway uh, opportunities do you provide? Now, when, when I first started years ago doing therapy, mm-hmm. almost everybody smoked. Mm-hmm. And so then there were big debates about should they be allowed to smoke in a session? Because what would happen is when they would get agitated or nervous or scared or what have you, they'd want a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And if you told them they couldn't have a cigarette, then they'd have to sit with those feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and or they'd have to work on emotional management because they get mad at you or they right. get frustrated. And so there were debates about, is it better to let them soothe themselves by smoking a cigarette and calm themselves down and then 
talk analytically mm-hmm. about what you know. What do you remember feeling three minutes ago, or do they have to sit with it? Right. And yeah, you know, I don't presume to have all the right answers. Just most of them. Uh, so I, I have always maintained. I once had an office built into the side of a building. It was a glass cube, and I always kept the blinds down. Mm-hmm when I had clients for that exact reason mm-hmm. we had that discussion here this morning mm-hmm. and the when you were in that office yeah. you were in a group practice right and I was actually in therapy with the director of oh, that yeah. office and so you sat in the office and looked out the window all the time. and she always had hers open yeah well and I just thought that was really really cool but I hear the point that you are making and well, I, I know how don't much good she it. did you well we 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 <laughs> It was my first venture into the world of psychotherapy as a client, and I felt like that it was extremely beneficial for me. I remember years later, you teared up and said, don't talk bad yeah. about her. Yeah. I have fond memories of her. Yeah. As, as do I. And you had different memories because you were a colleague, not yeah. a client. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and she may not have treated you well. No, she treated me just fine. I don't have issues oh, with okay. her. Okay. Okay. I, I thought you didn't like the way that the financials went at the well, end. I didn't like that. But yeah. Yeah. Just like her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that is a case that can be made, whether or not you have these distractions. But, it, you know, that's also the reason why we talk about should you have a clock that is prominently displayed so that clients can look at it because they will You do the use late that. session confession. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they may not even be aware that they're doing it. It may be a subconscious thing. No, they're not aware of it, but, or they may not be aware of it. But then you need to point that out right. as a clinician. Uh, but you need to make sure you don't give them extra time. Mm-hmm. Right, right, because they will definitely try and take advantage of that. So uh, we're in new digs, and I'm really excited about this. This is going to be something that's going to evolve and uh, over time, I think, become better and better. But for right now, um, it's a little bit Spartan because... There's yeah, not much here, CNN but the recording and NBC equipment. want to come and have us be on their shows. We'll be set up for we'll it be, already. We'll be all ready yeah. to go. So uh, you sent me an article that I thought was really intriguing. It's something that we've talked about many times before, which is, uh, you know, have has the has has the psychology of children changed over time? Um, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't even know how to understand that question. The so what I mean by that is, uh, are kids today different than kids? More entitled than kids were back in oh, okay. the fifties and sixties. And and I think that most people, their knee jerk reaction to that question would be, well, of course, absolutely. If you grew up in the depression, um, you weren't used to having any family. You did, if you got an orange on Christmas, you were delighted. Um, and now today, well, in certain if you don't socioeconomic get, categories, yeah. absolutely. I think a more apt description of what you're trying to identify okay. is the mother with three children that has to take them all to the grocery store because dad won't keep them at home or he's at work uh, is trying to get her way through the grocery store and she's got a fussy child in the basket and she hands him her cell phone mm-hmm. as a pacifier and he knows mm-hmm. how to operate it at, mm-hmm. at two mm-hmm. uh, to find the games that he plays and entertain himself and what have you. Uh, I've seen so many parents in situations where the minute the child demands some attention because 
he's uncomfortable or unhappy or needs or wants something, they hand him an electronic device. Mm -hmm. So kids have their own iPads, they have their own iPhones. I saw an article the other day that said uh, the average eight-year-old in the United States has his own iPhone mm. or, or cell phone. Uh, and so what is happening is our parenting skills and our attention spans are changing from what mm -hmm. they once were, which is mm -hmm. not to say they were good back then. Mm -hmm. My parents' idea of parenting was lock me out of the house in the morning mm -hmm. after breakfast and don't let me in again until dinner time. Mm -hmm. And so if I had to go to the bathroom, go on a tree somewhere. At, I least, to, at least they were feeding you. Occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, and, and, and that brings up another point, though, that is really salient for me, and that is not only are the parenting skills changing, but I think the ability for the child to self-soothe is changing. Absolutely. I don't think we give our kids the opportunity to self-soothe, to learn how to self-soothe. Their assumption growing up is that whenever I feel dysregulated, what I need is some external stimuli to distract me from that. I never have to sit with it and learn how to write my own ship. And I, I have any number of women friends who are therapists that maintain that's a very common reality for males. That, because that males, males are not taught to identify what they feel well, or deal with it. Sure, absolutely. They're just taught to yeah. uh, muscle up and bloviate right. and demand release from frustration. Mm -hmm. And and you know this is kind of tangentially running down uh, a different track than maybe what the article was about. But you know that that my <laughs> you know we do that all the time. Yeah, my yeah. whole concept, my whole philosophy underpinning of, of, of psychology is all about emotional regulation. So I think that is a huge topic, but to circle back to what the article was about, um, specifically the article was talking about narcissistic kids. And so then what I'm, so the first question that I have for you, is there a difference between narcissism and entitlement? Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Philosophically, my training says to me that all of us when we are born are what is labeled as grandiose narcissist. Mm -hmm. That we do not know the rest of the world exists outside of us. It, we think it uh, as an infant, yeah. if we think at all, it, that it, the world's just an extension of us. When we cry, yeah. somebody resolve, they play multiple choice, but they figure out our diaper needs to be changed or we're hungry or we're, I remember one of the most exciting things as a parent that I realized, uh, was when my child was able to say my stomach hurts mm -hmm. because when they cry and you can't soothe them, you mm -hmm. can't get them to stop. Then you start panicking about, is there something physically wrong? Not mm -hmm. just are they hungry or sleepy or fussy, need to be held, need to be changed. You go through that litany of, of ideas, but if that doesn't fix it, if the things that normally fix it don't fix it, then you get scared. It's like, yeah. is there something really right. wrong? Do I need right. to take them to the doctor? Do I need to go to the hospital? And so when the child was finally able to say, my stomach hurts, then I just really felt like an exponential weight mm -hmm. had, had gone off it because we could communicate mm -hmm. about it. And he had learned language and mm -hmm. he had learned the externals beyond himself. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you see that children develop that around eight or nine months, they go through object permanence. 
So if you walk past, uh, go down a hallway that has like two doors on either side of a room, and the child, child sees you here, they learn to look over here yeah. for you to come. Right. And it's also differentiation of self that they go through. So before that time, Piaget called that egocentrism, the inability for the early human to understand that there are people outside of, of them. themselves, right? Yeah. And so then once they go through that differentiation of self, now they know you're a separate entity from me. Right. Yeah. And, and then they count on certain ones to take care of their needs. And so you develop stranger danger, mm -hmm. you become aware of other people that are not in their normal surround. So the terminology that we use is grandiose narcissism at mm -hmm. the beginning. And then as a child interacts with others and learns the separation of others from self, then they start to make distinctions in their surround. Mm -hmm. And they start to be encouraged to learn to regulate their emotional responses. And that's part of the job of parenting. As a parent, I need to assuage your fears and anxieties. I need to make you feel safe and hopefully feel loved and attended to. And when I'm not good at that, then you have to develop some compensatory strategy for surviving the flood of anxiety that you get when I don't meet your needs as your parent. Uh, so different children, different parents, all handle that differently. Mm -hmm. What this article was talking about is that there seems to be a, just an enormous number of children today that we would classify simply as narcissists, not mm -hmm. as grandiose narcissists. Mm -hmm. And the distinction then that they're trying to make is those are self-entitled children. Mm -hmm. They are rarely told no. They rarely experience negative consequences. They rarely don't get what they want because they just scream until they get it. And so they feel entitled and that's how they express their entitlement. So, so entitlement yeah. is an you need aspect. You need to satisfy me. Is it, but that's an aspect of malignant narcissism. So all of us have a certain amount well, of an, narcissism. It's an aspect of narcissism. The malignancy comes in with the negativity, with the uh, animosity and the hostility and the lack of concern about consequences. You give me what I want, and I don't care what happens to you. There's one piece of pie. I want it. You give it to me, and I don't care if you starve. Okay, okay. So, so, you, don't, so you don't see... Malignance has a negative connotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than just narcissism. Well, me, but 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 I'm saying. So do you do you see the entitlement as malignant, or do you think you can be the entitlement can become malignant? It's but, not but inherently okay. Okay, because I think that may be where we're where okay. we're where we're different. Yeah. So so you don't see entitlement itself. I see it as natural. Oh, okay, okay. But but I have to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through my entitlement. Sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have to learn how to manipulate the system. I have to learn to be seductive. I have to learn to be uh, approved of, uh, accepted, and I can cajole you into doing what I want. And the more skilled at that I am, mm -hmm. then the more entitled I tend to be. Okay, so then let me ask an, another question. Uh, where so you're saying entitlement and narcissism themselves are two distinctly different things and not yeah, and neither so. one is necessarily well, the narcissism needs a degree of severity we all have both narcissistic traits ideas uh, and entitlement ideas mm -hmm. but you know you you drive down the street and you see somebody driving a, a beautiful new lamborghini and you're like why in the hell don't i have one of those what's right. wrong with me that i don't have one of those? How, what did he do to get one of those and okay, and so that's entitlement, but it may not be malignant. Okay, I see. Yeah. I, I, okay, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, I see where that 
where you're coming oh, okay. from. Okay. Yeah. So, so then part of parenting is helping your children fail and experience loss and experience consequences, experience dissatisfaction appropriately within the bounds that are set for our society. Mm -hmm. So we teach our children not to bite. We teach our children not to hit. We teach our children, at least we we supposedly do in an ideal world, Mm -hmm. we teach our children these things. But in some families, there are weak parents who don't have the wherewithal to stand up to the rage of the child uh, or the pain of the child and say, no, you can't have it, and mm-hmm. endure whatever that generates and teach them. You know, I, I remember my youngest child uh, would have a meltdown. I mean, he, he suffered from a condition we call ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. and we had to do it. We had, we had to learn how to manage the system. So we had to learn how to do foreshadowing with him. And we would say, we're leaving for school in 10 minutes. You need to put this away or that away or turn this off or whatever it was he was doing. He had no concept of time. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, okay, okay. And we'd say, we're leaving in five minutes. You've only got, you know, finish this game, finish this level, finish whatever. And then it would be time to go, and we'd turn it off. And he would just have a meltdown of mm-hmm. frustration and rage. He had to learn how to manage that appropriately within the bounds of the way we behaved in our home. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't, then he experienced even more consequences. Mm-hmm. And when he did, it was like, okay, you're angry. You don't want to turn it off. You don't want to go to school. Why is school important? But... Let's go, mm-hmm. and, and let's put on a happy face and be functional. You can't be dysfunctional. You have to make it work. And and so that's the the, the number five in this list of eight things is, is boundaries. So you are putting boundaries on Every your child. Yes, consistently. And, and saying you have the right to feel however you want. What you don't have the right to do is to display that in a way that is not... I was talking with to a friend we... of mine last night. She's 82 years old. She's a widow. Mm-hmm. She's recently widowed. And she was talking about how she doesn't see herself as capable of doing things that her husband used to do. Mm-hmm. And we discussed it and we talked about it. And I said, you can do these things. You're a competent, educated, capable woman. You can do all this. You don't want to. Mm-hmm. And she just paused and looked at me and she said, you're right, I don't. And I said, that's where your frustration is coming from. You just don't want to. It's like a child. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to do this. I don't mm-hmm. want to do my homework. Mm-hmm. I don't want to change the sheets on the bed. I don't want to wash the dishes. But I may have to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you may have to if the parent is able to set the boundary and then if you've enforce learned. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go to our break. And when we come back, let's go, go to, to the, the list. list. Yeah. Hey, Brett, if you were going to tell somebody to check out something on the Internet to help them with their mental health, what would you tell them? I'd tell them to listen to Psych with Mike. Why would you tell them that? Because it's probably one of the most easily listenable experiences you can have that will give you information that's useful for a whole spectrum of concerns that people have. I agree, and I have actually been told that by at least a dozen people, several of whom were not married to me, and some of them didn't even know me. That's amazing. That is amazing. (laughs) When when we get that kind of uh, feedback from people, it is so incredibly humbling and overwhelming for me. It is for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. So we really appreciate it. And as always, if it's Friday, it's Psych with Mike.
Okay, we're back. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, so the first one is uh, overvaluing your children. And when I first read this article, uh, I I blanched at that. I was like, oh, no, I want to believe that my, my child... My children are precious. Yeah. The most sacred thing in the universe to me are my children. And they may be. That isn't what this is saying. Right. That what this is saying is that you can't imbue in your child a sense that they are more valuable than any other person walking around. Everybody has the right to feel valued and you have to respect that each person. Like teacher, teacher, don't spank my child. Spank that other child. My child will figure it out. Right. Yeah. Because she's so brilliant. Right. Well, so if my child child isn't figuring it out, it's because of the teacher, not because my child is at fault. Why are you so inadequate, teacher? And I think that that's one of the things that I see. And we grew up, well, we grew up, we worked together in a group practice and we did a lot of, yeah, some, some, and and did a lot of work in educational institutions. And one of the things, and we did a lot of presentations to parents, and, and that's one of the things that I've seen, I think, change over the last 25 years. For the worse years, or for the better? For the worse, uh. is that parents want not only themselves to imbue their child with a message that they're more valuable than any other individual on the face of the planet, they want everybody else to, to agree with that. When I was growing up, if you got in trouble at school and that made it back to your house, you then got in trouble at home for getting yeah. in trouble at school. Now what I see is if you get in trouble at school, somebody wants to sue a teacher. Yeah. Or school district. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, and, and now that that genie's out of the bottle, I don't know how to put it back in. And, and we can have these conversations with parents and say, look, don't, don't do that. Don't imbue your children with this attitude. But, I, as a society, how do we change that? I was hired one time by a wealthy family to represent the family in a negotiation with the school district. Their child was in the 11th grade, and there was an arbitrary standardized essay that the 11th graders had to produce in this school district. I don't remember what it was about, but it was standard. Every kid had to do it. The child in this family hadn't done it because the child had the incredibly important, rare, and unique opportunity to go to a presidential inauguration Mm. and visit the White House and be in the Oval Office and wanted to write a paper about that experience Uh. instead of the required paper. Mm -hmm. So they hired me, approached me, wanted me to approach the school to negotiate, can we do a trade-off here? And I said, no, mm-hmm. I won't do that. Mm-hmm. You go find somebody else. I won't do it because mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. that child should write the required essay. Mm-hmm. Then maybe they can do the other essay as an extra credit or a freebie or what have you if you want to have it written. But your child should do what is required of children to do to graduate, Yeah, whatever it is, and, and if it's you, required of all the other kids. So do you get the sense that the parents wanted that child to write that essay because they thought that that was the experience that their child needed, or do you think they were just showing off, oh, we went it, to It them. was an extension of their entitlement. Yeah. yeah. Our family doesn't have to do what everybody else has to do. Right, because we got to go visit the right. White House and, right. and, and go yeah. to the and president's we know. And we want yeah. everybody to know right. it, exactly. Yeah. And, and So, so yeah. let's go through this list. Yeah. So, number one, they overvalue their kids. Number two, they lack warmth. Parents lack mm-hmm. warmth. 
emotional availability. That goes back to the grandiose narcissism. When I cry, are you going to hold me? Are you going to acknowledge yeah. me? Are you going to soothe me until I can learn to do and it myself? So what is so important for me with this number two is that the very first developmental stage, according to Eric Erickson, is safety versus insecurity. Yeah. And whether or not you believe the world is a trustworthy place, whether or not you believe that you're going to be taken care of is what that's based on. And this is something that I think profoundly affects children for the balance of their lives yeah. when that is when that developmental stage is processed to insecurity. I think that kids deal with that for the rest of their well, lives. Another term for the same period of development from a different theory is separation individuation. Yeah. So I have to separate my sense of self from my mother, the object, to recognize that she and I are not the same. Right. And that we're different in a number of ways. And I have to deal with my anxieties about that and learn how to know that I'm okay being me. Mm -hmm. So the third thing, they overindulge their kids. Mm. Their kids make a noise, they give them something. If but they give them something, they give them something over the top. Christmas is three hours of opening presents and not just a present. And Christmas doesn't involve sharing it. I, I have friends uh, who have had fights with their friends because my five-year-old is having a birthday and my seven-year-old wants a present too. Mm -hmm. So if you're invited to the birthday party of the five-year-old, you got to bring one for the seven-year-old because they don't understand it's not their birthday. And so when people were like, no, I'm not going to do that, then it's like, well, don't come because mm -hmm. I don't want my child distressed. I want everybody to get equal presents. Well, that's to me is not very healthy for so anybody. How come my child coming to the birthday party isn't getting a present? Well, that's a, if all your children are getting presents. Well, they're they're not my children, right? Yeah. Uh, so they overindulge. Number four, they don't delay gratification. The parents don't delay gratification. They don't teach the right. children to delay gratification. And so, what's so important about that is delay of gratification is the primary essential function of the ego. What we're talking about is not developing a consistently strong ego. That was the id. No, the id is, the is, is I want what I want and I want it now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you don't when you don't teach your children how to delay gratification, you are inhibiting the development yeah. of the ego. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they don't delay gratification. Which is why we have so much obesity yeah. in the United States. Absolutely. Uh, hello. Yeah. They uh, don't have boundaries. Mm -hmm. They don't encourage emotional management. They don't teach it. They don't require it. But you have to teach it to require it. Right. Uh, Non-abusively. In other words, if you if you get right. angry and you lash oh, out at you're me. you're crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Exactly. Uh, they mistake happiness for goodness. Mm -hmm. That's uh, That one made like so much sense to me. Because I, I'd never thought about it that way. I, I, but that was exactly how, that was the foundation of how I raised my kids. I used to tell my kids all the time, I'm going to treat you fairly, but I'm going to treat you fairly according to what your needs are. Your needs, my son, I would mm. say to him, your needs may be different than the needs of your daughter. I'm going to give you both what you need, but it might not to you appear that I'm giving you all the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And kids don't understand that. That's why the parents have to make that choice. But the difference between just what makes your kids happy is not necessarily uh, what's going to be good for them. I remember teaching junior high school years ago. And it was the end of a semester. And we were going through, I was going through with the class I, and having them add up all their points. And I put in a, a grade scale on the wall so they could see what their grade was that they were going to have on their report card to take home to their parents. 
and I had this one child, and I gave him all of his numbers, and he added them up, and he saw that he had failed. He mm. had not met the minimum standard. He hurled his textbook across the room over the, over the heads of all the other kids, and he screamed an obscenity, and he said, you blanken failed me. And I looked at him and said, no. You I, failed You me. worked hard to get that grade. Uh-huh. You earned it. I'm going to honor your effort, and I do, and you'll get that grade because it's what you earned. He and I said, now you've earned something else. <laughs> you tripped it into office. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so be aware. Yeah. What you get is what you earn. Wow. Mm. So it was a teachable moment. But mm-hmm. uh, and then the, the last thing, which I think is uh, one of the more significant ones, is they mistake want for need. Yeah. Just because I want something right. doesn't mean that I need it. Right. And if we learn to ask ourselves that about our hungers, is this something I want? Or is it something I need? Because we tend to obsess about things that we want. Mm-hmm. Well, if I want a bowl of ice cream after dinner, if I'm watching TV or something, and I sit there and I start craving a bowl of ice cream, and it's in my mind and I can't get it out, and I try to get distracted, and it keeps going, ice cream, ice cream. And I have to ask myself, do I want that or do mm-hmm. I need it? Now, I'll, I'll freely own. I give myself permission to say, I want it. Mm-hmm. My wife will say, well, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. I, I want it. Mm-hmm. And then she'll say, well, okay, you're a grown man. Do what mm-hmm. you do. It. But, no, but, but don't but complain to me tomorrow that right. you put on weight. Right. Yeah. But but that's the difference that you're a grown man, and you have the ability to make that choice well, for yeah, yourself. Well, yeah, I'll make that child, choice for my child when they're little. When you're, or yes. I'll, I'll say, be aware of the consequences. You can have this or you mm-hmm. can have that. Mm-hmm. Your choice. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just wanted to touch the boundaries thing. Do you like the Townsend Boundaries book? Yes, I love it. Okay, yeah. And I like it too. And and so I think that that's a big one. What what, what I wanted to ask you is if there was one, so let's say there's eight of these yeah. and, and somebody's overwhelmed. They say, well, I couldn't possibly apply all of these things because that's just too hard to, to shift the track. Which of these would you say is the most important? If somebody was going to focus on one, just to start. I think uh, delaying gratification. Mm-hmm. But, but I think as you look at the list, several of them could be subsets they of others. They overlap, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I think goodness and, and happiness and want and need are overlapping. Yeah. 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 And for me, I would say... The, Emotional the, management. Yeah. But I would say that comes from trying to learn how to delay gratification. Because then I'm going to be flooded with frustration or anxiety or emptiness or fear. And i got to manage that. I can't just decompensate. Well, actually, so uh, it was emotional management was one, but uh, right. uh, that was number six. I would even say number two, the, the lack of warmth. Yeah. And, and the reason is because uh, I don't think that parents have any clue how significantly important that their behavior is Touch, in the first two years smile. of that child's yeah. life. Hold because the, the child can't talk. And so people think, oh, well, this child's not going to suffer any trauma or lasting damage. But that gets sealed in that child's body. You learn before you know language through so sensory motor inner uh, uh, learning. And that has a profound impact. We've seen that professionally Yeah, uh, when we've dealt with uh, adopted kids from mm-hmm. Romania when the... Uh, Kalchescu government fell in Romania in, what, the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly, the Romanian orphanages were emptied because American adoption agencies would go over and get these kids. But these kids, many of them, had been warehoused in very sterile surroundings. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've found that subsequently from kids from other nations as well. 
where they had these voluminous mass orphanages mm -hmm. with small amounts of, of caretakers. And so kids were just put, uh, like feral children, they yeah. put in the closet and, and occasionally fed and, and bathed uh, or cleaned. And so then when they get adopted, when because of the cri critical developmental loss mm -hmm. of learning these things, when they get adopted, there are often emotional upheavals right. that are just intolerable. Right. And I've known a number of people that adopted a child from Russia or from Romania that within a year tried to send them back. Mm, absolutely. So it was impossible they've to got reactive attachment things. disorder. Right. And, and we see that then mirrored in Harlow's experiments with the monkeys, with the monkeys. and yeah. you know if you have a wireframe mother that feeds the monkey but then you have a cloth mother that the monkey has the choice to spend time with the, the monkey will always choose the cloth mother yeah. because that tactile stimulation is more important than who's feeding me so we think oh well we're keeping the kid warm we're keeping the kid fed these kids are made alive yeah but, but we're not nurturing them right and 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 i think that that in in some ways there may have even been People may have thought they were doing the right thing. They didn't want the kids to get attached yeah. to the caregivers, but it is so important that that tactile stimulation, that's especially skin-to-skin -skin touch that you have with your child in those first two pre-verbal years, there's nothing that can I had some good friends that. that adopted a child at the age of four from a Korean orphanage. They were stationed in Korea, and they adopted this child and brought them home. Everything seemed to be going well. It was a delightful child, lovely child, until she hit puberty. Yeah. And when she hit puberty, she started stealing everything that wasn't nailed yeah. down from her friends, from school, from whatever. They couldn't figure out why she's stealing all this stuff. Then they put her in therapy with a really good, skilled therapist for dealing with reactive attachment disorder. And what they found was that she had, in order to survive those first four years, she had to learn how to steal food mm -hmm. and, and not get caught. So all of that erupted was coming when back she to went through puberty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that was a fantastic clinical discussion. As always, if anybody has questions about what we are discussing or suggestions for something that you would like us to discuss, you can get us at psychwithmike.com. Send us a message through the psychwithmike.com service. Uh, and that's something we both want and need. Absolutely. And it would be... So we don't have to make a distinction. And it would be good and make us happy. And it would help with our gratification and our emotional management there you go it's, you, know, you cry every time we don't get an email there's no possible way that that yeah. can be bad for anybody i can see that if you want to do us a favor you can go on the interwebs and find us on the apple podcast leave us a uh you can subscribe to us there. You can leave us a comment, which really, really helps other people find the show. Leave us a rating. You can go on to the YouTubes and find us and subscribe to the show, which is fantastic. We really, really appreciate that. The music that appears in Psych with Mike is written and performed by Mr. Benjamin DeClue. And if it's Friday, it's Psych with Mike. take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. 
For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon.